Exploring the healing and culture building practices of embodied anti-racism. This is With Love and Justice for All with Reverend Ogan Holder and Reverend Kelly Isola. Hello, hello, and welcome. Welcome to another episode of With Love and Justice for All. I'm Reverend Ogan here with my partner in crime, sorry, consciousness, uh, Reverend Reverend Kelly Isola. And here we are having conversations around embodied anti-racism, dismantling oppression, and the special challenges that arise as a spiritual seekers seeking to be anti-racist. If you like, if you would like, not if you like, yeah, but if you like, if you like, join the conversation. Call us at 816-251-3555. If you're listening live, you can message us on the gram, on the Facebook. And as always, uh, you can listen later on all your podcast platforms, Spotify, iTunes, not iTunes, what is it? Apple Podcasts now, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. If you know to you and our use an RSS feed, you can put it in your own podcatcher, all that stuff. So we're here all the time. And look us up at projectsanctus.com for all the other great anti-racism and offerings that we have for you, the individual and your spiritual community, and basically any organization that you work with. We are we are multi-dimensional. Right. How are you doing today, Kelly? Yes, we are. We are multidimensional. We are multifaceted. We are uh, multicultural. Uh, we are committed to creating a culture of caretaking. So whatever environment you are in, uh, at work, at play, at home, at school, in your spiritual community, we are absolutely here to support you with love and justice for all. For all to create this culture of caretaking, a culture that is focused on safety, dignity, and belonging. And speaking of a caretaking culture today, we're going to talk about some uh, terms, words, phrases, terminology, sayings, aphorisms that have, uh, that are a part of our everyday life and culture that have really deep, long roots in racist culture that we may not be aware of um and maybe we should come up with some new ones maybe we'll do that today that wasn't in the notes but i'm throwing an audible <laughs> why not could be fine <laughs> if you got some ideas tell us as well um part of the reason we're bringing this to your attention is not to be like quote unquote super woke as you know you hear in the, from a certain uh maybe news media narrative these days but realizing that as we continue to use these terms and this uh that what we're doing is continuing to prop up a uh, white supremacy culture and and as we jump in i thought that it might it might behoove us to, to take a moment to maybe talk a little about what that means because um as kelly and i you know do what we do and uh, conferences and workshops and stuff like that. Sometimes we get a little pushback uh, uh, from 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 folks around phrases like white supremacy culture. Um, you know, people say that's that's not who we are. Um, as as insane, we are not white supremacists because we have white bodies. We're not saying that. We're not accusing anyone of that. And you may think you're not that because you don't feel, quote unquote, in a place of supremacy uh, over anyone. So so when we talk about white supremacy culture and I want to I want to um, use as a reference point, this great article that I read in The Atlantic today. And it's really a book review. It's a book review and uh, about a, a history book called The Dawn of Everything where a couple of historians are basically saying we pretty much got this whole story around the evolution of humanity as in human history wrong yeah and it's a it's a bold claim and it's a 500 page book that's a bold book itself so it's on my nook ebook shopping list so i'll be sure to get it um but, you know, so the general idea is uh, or the uh, the general accepted idea is that, you know, we started off as like a, a small band of uh, hunter gatherers in the eastern plains of Africa. And as we as we as we uh, grew in number and swelled to tribes, you know, we upscaled and we had to have more organization. So so this led to hierarchies and specializations. You know, we had chief, we had warriors, we had holy men. This is this is where the thinking around the 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 true 
earliest beginnings of organized religion uh, came into being. And then we had cities and then civilization, you know, literary philosophy, all that sort of stuff. And, and we, you know, just kept going, kept going till boom, here we are. And according to them, this really isn't how it happened. And, and they, they cite a lot of recent archaeological discoveries that, that uh, you know, shift that narrative. Okay, so mm -hmm. I'm not going into all of that because that's not what I'm getting at. But in, in the article on The Atlantic I read, it's, they say in the book that they're, uh, throughout this all is, is a critique that uh, the authors refer to as the indigenous critique. And it it and I'll just read from the article. So the indigenous critique amounted to a wholesale condemnation of French and by extension European society, because the chapter speaks about uh, when basically uh, the, the French and other Europeans arrived in North America. Um, they were mostly missionaries and intellectuals. And anyways, so so. Uh, this is the this is the what the book sort of speaks to as this European society. Um, its incessant competition, its paucity of kindness and mutual care, its religious dogmatism and irrationalism, and most of all, its horrific inequality and lack of freedom. The authors persuasively argue that indigenous ideas carried back and publicized in Europe went on to inspire the Enlightenment such as ideals of freedom, equality, democracy, they note, had hitherto been all but absent from the Western philosophical tradition. They go further, making the case that the conventional account of human history as a saga of material progress was developed in reaction to the indigenous critique in order to salvage the honor of the West. We are richer, went the logic, so we're better. The authors ask us to rethink what better might actually mean. So when we speak of white supremacy culture, that whole definition right there, incessant competition, paucity of kindness and mutual care, religious dogmatism and irrationalism, horrific inequality and lack of freedom, that's what we mean by white supremacy culture. And it sounds really familiar as, you know, qualities of a country you and I happen to be living in right now. So that's what we're referring to. We're not necessarily pointing a finger at any specific person and saying you are white supremacist though they got some of those out there too anyways so uh i'm hearing an echo anybody else hearing an echo yeah me too all right super engineer jeff there's 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 an echo and i don't know if you want to uh, do something about that. Thank you. There we go. Oh, I, I had to mute our engineer, but that doesn't help us when it comes <laughs> for for break time. We got we got yeah. a we got a clock we're following. We'll try and stick with a clock. Right. Welcome to the behind the scenes of a radio show, guys. Scintillated. <laughs> Anyways, well, it's it. I was just I was having a similar conversation this morning uh, with a group of people where. Um, you know, and, and we were talking about some of this vocabulary, like white body and white body supremacy and white, mm -hmm. um, and that, um, um, one of, one of, uh, the people in the group was, uh, bringing forward the idea of, um, of, of that the, so when I say white body supremacy, often what happens is when someone hears white supremacy, they automatically go to this idea of the, you know, ultra violent, you know, neo-Nazi faction when you hear white supremacy. There's, um, so I can't hear you, Ogan. Sorry, the extremes. I would say people, people yes. think of the extremes yes, and think go, extremes. that is not who we are. Right. And so the, the word supremacy is is simply is using the word like us having to learn to disconnect from the emotional intensity and the activating of the you know amygdala like no no that's not me and moving into the uh that supremacy meaning power over right um and and what they do in this and so the so what we were sort of talking about and and the the term that I've heard um, is um, uh, as a an, another way to talk about it is cultures of violence, cultures of violence because there is everything that you just read. It's not it's not just while here in the U.S. this caste system is 
you know, it is white privilege and the, the power over the power structure is, you know, white bodies, like that's, that's the system. And it's not a, um, you know, from, from the, the book that you're referring to in the article is it's, it, it is about the domination and there were cultures of violence and domination before Europeans made it to America. There is the Mayan and the Incan and the Aztec. So those are cultures of domination where you control the violence, where you control, you know, the, the bureaucracy, where you, um, uh, you know, that there are. Um, so just the systems itself, you know, and using the term cultures of violence. So, but coming back to, um, so that's, what's fascinating about the book and what's fascinating about, you know, the, I read the article too, um, just recently, uh, I don't remember when, but, uh, it's points. It just as a reminder that there is vocabulary we need to learn. There is vocabulary that sometimes I use that is, you know, almost in part to kind of trigger our, our, our dream state around some of the language, but, um, um, but I thought that the term culture of violence was, was a, um, was also a good term, um, to use, uh, yeah. So Although I do know that people don't want to talk about, um, white body or, or the minute they hear white supremacy or white bodies or things like that shut down as sure. a way to bypass Exactly. And, and yes, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me to say it in a room of white people too, but that's the whole point. The point is it, 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 the, when we talk about it, it stops being uncomfortable and we can't change it, heal it, uh, rebuild it unless we have conversations around it. So just, I think some of us to that bypass point, just want to get to the, what do I do differently? but right. don't actually want to have conversations around what it is we're we're trying to change dismantle where is it present where is it present in the places we don't even realize and so that's what brings us to our conversation today around some of these lang- languages and some of these terms that we use so let's jump into a few of them let's start with some easy ones and i say easy ones as if Let's start with some ones that everybody may be clear about and familiar using almost on an everyday basis. And again, when you hear us say these, notice your reaction. Are you like rolling your eyes and going like, okay, that's just like going a bit too far? Or are you feeling uncomfortable? Like, do you feel tension in you? Just notice your response as you hear these things. Notice and notice right away. Do, do you even have a willingness or a resistance to 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 not using these phrases um maybe notice how often do how often do i say that because uh, because i'll be clear i'm I, I know you can't see because this is a podcast but i'm a black man and i use some of these phrases uh, as as well so so there's me perpetuating it as well this is not a only one group of people that's doing this so um so the first one we're going to look at is one that probably a lot of people use it on an everyday basis, which is the master bedroom, the master bedroom. So this accompanying master bathroom and master bathroom as well, master bedroom and master bathroom. So yeah. So master, master bathroom, we can draw a straight line back to, to um, a term that comes out of, of i guess in 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 some instances uh slavery when you know you had the the master had his house the big house and and the master's bedroom was was like the main bedroom of the house that was so that's where that was and we had we had um of course you had um, enslaved people that worked in the fields and enslaved people that worked in the house and the ones that worked in the house were traditionally uh treated better or somewhat given more perks but um, and they didn't have to suffer the hard labor of working in the field. So it was, it was something that, that, um, some enslaved people aspire to. And it was a point of, uh, what's the word I want? Uh, not tension. It was, a, it was a, it was a point of, of, of advantage that, that, that the owners had and pitted the enslaved people against each other right. and made one group feel better than 
the other group and therefore there was there was that struggle uh between them well and the, and the master bathroom is a private bathroom like nobody else gets to use that we don't yes. want to sully that bathroom by anybody else using it um and uh yeah so and it's used um uh oh you know real estate <laughs> i mean yeah. I, you know, it's, it's even has an abbreviation, right? MBR master bath bedroom, yep. you know, yeah. uh, and, and I don't there. know how many, I don't know how many real estate agents or real estate companies have taken to shifting some of that. And well, I, I've, I've read articles of um, some agents, usually they're um, real estate agents of color who use terms like main bedroom or the biggest bedroom, and in some cases, uh, we have, you know, people who they're showing the house to are pushing back. They, so they'll, the, you know, the, the, the house viewers will use the term master bedroom and the and the real estate agent will say, well, here's the main bedroom. And and I've read instances where they're like, oh, we're not we're not going to work with this real estate agent. They're too woke. Can't even use the term master bedroom anymore or or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you can, you know, you, and you can hear it. I could, you yeah. can hear a real estate agent saying this is the main bedroom and the person looking at it going, do you mean the master bedroom? You mean the master bedroom. Right. Hearing the real estate agent going the main bedroom like and 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 someone looking at it like. And I can I can hear it getting upset yeah. because the real estate agent is unwilling to acquiesce to the term. Exactly, and that term master and term master and slave also uh, uh, translates into not translates into, but it's also found um, and has been traditionally found in in computer in computer lingo, right? Um, Software and hardware, master soft- and slave. Yes, the master slave terminology, um, and ex- exactly. Um, and, and that's been, that's, there's been some movement to change that, um, as well. So, uh, you know, sometimes you use now the terms primary and replica. Which I think is, even that's a little, you know, I, I, so white privilege is a philosophy that evolves, right? Mm-hmm. Like a virus, it evolves. It's not a static structure. Uh, and I think primary replica is one of those that potentially is uh, a sneakier evolution of yeah. master slave. Like there's still a primary and the, the other one is a replica and a yeah. replica is not necessarily is usually one, like maybe a little notch less than the perfect primary. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think there's still potential built into this primary replica thing that that some have opted to use that still is problematic i think it's a step in the right direction uh i don't know anything about programming can we just say first and second uh you know but but the 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 issue is that again we we sort of think first and second we still make that Mm -hmm. connection of first being better right because you win the race the person who won the race was bigger faster better stronger um well, it's shout out, it's shout out to old Kanye it, right there. Sorry. What? Say so shout out to old Kanye. Oh, well, it's stronger. the the origins is, um, you know, there's where one process, you know, or device controls mm-hmm. another. Yeah. So that's where the master slave comes from, which is horrific. So the, there's a great app I love. It's called If This Then That. Yeah. Which, you know, when one you do one action, it triggers another action, which can trigger another action. So, so I mean, that's a lot to say. If this, then that. But, or what is it? I if if t t t something like that. I f t t t. There you go. If this, then that. That's that's what the app is called. It's a great app, by the way. I use it a lot. But but I think that's that's another interesting uh, workaround for for this. Um, well, another another one using the Masters is in golf. The Masters, the PGA oh, Masters yeah. tournament. Yes. Um, one of the four major tournaments on the PGA. No, uh, no accident that it's on the lush greens of Augusta, Georgia. Yes, yes, um, and uh, yeah, I don't, um, I don't. I honestly confess, I don't know. I don't know that I see a lot of headway being made in, in, in. That's, you know, that's a little too entrenched. Although, although, if major sports teams are changing their names, there's, there's always, there's always hope. 
looking at you, Washington football team, who is really dragging their feet on this. Well, Kansas City. You know, well, that that is true. That is true. We got Kansas City. The what is it? The was it Cleveland? Was it Indians? Cleveland Indians just changed their name, I think. Yes. Um, but uh, Washington. Um, previously, the Washington um, Redskins decided we are going to half-ass this and just call ourselves the Washington football team rather than actually committing to a name. Yeah. I mean, talk about talk about trying to appease both sides. It's 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 crazy. By the way. The Washington Red Tails is just waiting there for you. If you're not familiar with the Red Tails, these were an elite uh, World War II uh, fight fighter plane squadron of black pilots, the Red Tails. Hmm. It's sitting there, Washington. And and in polls, the vast majority of people are like, we like that name. Go for it. But, you know, hey. <laughs> and get, just, just sitting there waiting. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Maybe know. when they actually start winning some games, they'll they'll uh, they'll take it up. Uh, what else we got? We got five minutes before break. What else can we get into here? Well, we can get in the one of the obvious one. I think I think it should be obvious for some people the minute it comes out of your mouth. But the idea of blacklist, whitelist, ah, like yes. the minute you know blacklist refers to you know um, it, you know we use that term in a lot of different. Um, um, a lot of different ways it just meaning you know the disconnected you've been you know if you've been blacklisted you've been you know excluded you've been there's something wrong with you you're not included you're you're not enough you're bad you're um you know so it's it you know it it's and whitelist is a list of things that are allowed and so um you know when i when i research this one there's it, it isn't necessarily clear a direct connection to, you know, to race and to racism. However, it, whether it's almost, to me, it almost seems it does it does it need to have that just the words alone and what they mean are kind of, yeah. you know, to say blacklist, to say whitelist, um, you know, it's not, and the same thing when you, you know, um, when you talk, when, when you hear people talk about, so originally blacklist was, you know, in tech, technical terms was, you know, email addresses and IP addresses and web addresses, URLs that are blocked, um, you know, they're blacklisted, uh, but there's also the term of the dark web. Right. The dark web is is a, a place on the Internet where all things are bad and evil and you can't get there unless, you know, you have to go. I mean, it's just. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Um, you know, I can uh, and I but I also wonder, I also wonder how much of that is also. Biblical, right? Cause yeah. When you, when you look at the or the, the the origin story in the Bible, you know, mm-hmm. out of the darkness, there was there was a void and darkness, and out of that, you know, God created light and gave it form, which implies because God created it, it was good, and what wasn't before that was not good. So so you know, there's there's that connotation which we extend to you know unconsciously everything else that's light and dark yeah yeah it just um it, yeah it's just you know and it's it's not it's not so much about you know what i one of my um when we talked about doing this topic you know uh forgive them for they know not what they say uh it's it's about raising our our awareness um yeah. not so much like i want to come across as you know, nitpicking everything to death of what everything I say or, or having every, you know, person be concerned about, I can't even open my mouth anymore because I'm going to say something wrong, which is some people go there, a fear of getting it wrong or insulting someone or saying something that is racist. And we kind of have to learn to get over ourselves and learn as we make mistakes. And that this was really about, building awareness and just kind of expanding um, our, what we don't know that we don't know. Exactly. Because when we get scared to say anything, then all that does is actually fuel resentment. If it wasn't for this or them, 
that are 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 making us be this way about this thing you know in other words in other words because now of of this this tension on racism this quote-unquote wokeness now we can't speak as we normally do we have to be hyper vigilant so to be safe i won't say anything at all right and and then we build resentment for the other that's not unifying which is interesting because some of the pushback we often get is when you say these things it's divisive right right <laughs> right right uh but yeah not having these conversations is also not is also is the divisive element on in here not yeah, not the not the actually having the conversations. When we don't have them, it it maintains the division. It maintains the as we say the the white body supremacy culture that we're uh, that we're talking about here. So so well, yes, have the conversations. We we can't have the conversation right now because we gotta go break. Okay. But we will hold that thought. We okay. will have the conversation. We'll that be conversation back. when we come back from break. You're listening to with love and justice for all. You're listening to With Love and Justice for All with Reverend Ogan Holder and Reverend Kelly Isola. All right, we are back and continuing our conversation um, around terminology, phrases, sayings that we have. That Forgive we them for they know not what they say. Yeah, that's the name of the episode title. Uh, we may not be aware of the deep racist history of some of these terminologies and these terms. So another one that we say a lot, I know I say a lot, uh, no can do. And also long time no see. These are two phrases um, that really came out of uh, mid 19th, early 20th century when um, attitudes towards Chinese immigrants were markedly, decidedly, even more obviously racist than they are now, right? So we know, we, we think now of the stop Asian hate movement, like nothing compared to back then. In fact, um, I believe, weren't the Chinese the only group of people that, that the United States government actually wrote an anti-immigration law around? <laughs> I'm, go I'm going to look that up. I believe they yeah. were. I believe, I believe they were, uh, it's occurring to me. So yes. So part of it is the idea of w making fun of the, of the sort of like, um, pigeon English. Yeah. It's pigeon broken English that, that, that Chinese folk used as they were trying to learn and assimilate, uh, in this country. So, so the no can do the long time, no see, those are, those are two ones as well. Um, and then, and then you were the one who told me about eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Let's talk about that one. Cause that's, that's, yeah, that's kind of dark. Uh, it's, you know, um, it's something that, you know, I think every child, pretty much every child, when, how do you make a decision, you know, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, and then, you know, grab a tiger by the toe. Uh, although how it's, um, um, it, it's, a definitely a different word it wasn't a tiger you know eeny meeny miny mo catch you know by a toe or grab catch the n-word i'll i'll so, so we put so poor people aren't, aren't wondering i won't say the word out loud but it is the n-word you know the yeah. n-word right uh, yeah so it was that and interestingly enough i grew up in barbados i was also taught that uh by the time i was taught it it was catch a fella a fellow as in a person so it was, yeah, it was. And a, I didn't actually hear it till about three years ago. What the whole poem, the actual poem itself? The actual, yes, oh, I was. Wow. I was raised. We said, "Eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a chicken by the toe." Chickens don't have toes, or do they? They do. They have they a do. few toes. No, they got feet. They have talons on the end of them, but they have toes. Okay. Gotcha. Right. Um, and uh, like I, it was you know, on one hand, I'm like, how did I go my whole life and never hear the other? You know the. Right the original version and and then there's this little piece of me that's like grateful i never heard you know that original yes yes yeah there's 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 that um, a lot of people don't know that one right 
And again, some of you are saying, hey, we changed the words, <laughs> therefore we made it okay. Part of what we know is that the energy and intention of things continue in the yes. in, in, in the word and in the phrasing. Well, so, there's that uh, unconscious Im, uh, embedded um, that just because you say it doesn't and change the word, it doesn't mean that it's actually changed in the person's thinking. And, and exactly, exactly. Speaking speaking of the N word, here's another one. Here's another one that I'll tackle because I also grew up hearing this. Um, and and use your use your uh, not imaginations, but string two words together: the N word, and then the phrase, then the 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 prefix. Wait, no suffix. Prefix. Wait, which one comes first? Prefix. Prefix is at the beginning. Suffix right, would because pre suffix is at the end. Right. I did not do good in English at school. <laughs> suffix. <laughs> but I'm also a writer, so no excuse. <laughs> With editors. <laughs> That's why they get paid what they do, so I don't right. have to know. Yes. So the N word and the suffix itis, right? And and this was a phrase I heard a lot growing up. Again, not from anyone white, because I grew up in Barbados, which is like I don't know, ninety seven percent black. Almost pretty much everyone in my orbit was also black. But this is a term that we said to each other after we ate. And we had like the food coma setting. And you know, when you eat, a, you eat a lot of food and you're like exhausted, uh, you know, we're in November, Thanksgiving is coming up. Think, think after your big Thanksgiving meal, but pretty much after every meal and you feel tired, get the food coma setting in. You know, what does black folk used to say to each other is you got a case of the N word itis. And, you know, down the road, we shortened it to itis. You got the itis, right? So this term race, I mean, this is a very racially, racially horrible term because it was, it was really created to describe, uh, or speak to, to, uh, enslaved people who, after they came in from the fields for their meal and they ate their meal, they were like falling asleep. So, so the, so, it was like, oh, look, they eat and they fall asleep. So we came up with a term as opposed to going like they fell asleep because maybe they were working in the field in the hot sun all morning long for hours. Maybe that's why they're tired. As opposed um, to laziness. As opposed to laziness. Exactly. Right. So so it's so I want to make a little distinction here because one of the one of the other pushbacks that we get um, sometimes when we present is is when we speak about, you know, American systemic racism, and then people make references to, well, this happens all over the place, and they make references to colonialism, right? Um, and there's, I want to draw a couple of distinctions. I mean, they're both horrible, first of all, right? So I grew up in a country that uh, was a British uh, territory, I guess, a British colony for quite a few centuries. Um, yeah. And I mean, we uh, in Barbados, we only gained our independence in 1966. And we're actually, but even when we did, we were still a, um, 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 what's the word I want? Uh, a republic, a representative republic, something of England. The queen was actually still technically our head of state, even though they had no hand in their governance. And it's actually only this year, last year that we're making- still part of the empire. We're still part technically, right. An extension of the empire. The queen was still our technical head of state and she had a representative, the governor general. Okay. Now, granted that role was just mostly ceremonial and we had our own prime minister and elected officials who ran the country. Um, but it, there was still that, <clears throat> that presence there. And it's only last year that the country made the, uh, started the process of even removing that, um, element and truly severing ties with the monarchy. Um, but, Elements like this, these terms, the itis, things like colorism, as in, you know, um, us people of color who may have a lighter shade, um, looking down on people of color who are darker skinned, like that sort of, that's colorism. That, those are the, the horrible leftovers of, of colonialism, of, of an occupied territory that still exists. And while that's horrible, it's also different from here in the United States, where the actual um, whew, 
uh, original organizing documents, philosophies, the constitution, all that it's slavery and the, uh, and the right to perpetuate slavery is embedded into those founding philosophies and documents. Yes, the, the bureaucracy, the political exactly. structure, the education, the cap, you know, our economic system, yes. um, governance. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, different than colonialism. It, it is different. And, and there are those who would push back and say, no, that's not what um, the, the ideals of the United States are. And, and we'll quote the Constitution and, you know, and quote the Declaration of Independence, you know, all men are created equal. So, you know, but that doesn't jibe with the fact that if all men are created equal, why are some men owning other men? Right. And let's be clear, that also didn't apply to women as well. So so it's one thing to say a thing. It's another thing to actually live that ideal. And even though we can argue that we've come a long ways and toward that ideal, we have not achieved it. And to say that it's a process and it's challenging doesn't hold water because there are other places in this world that have achieved that. It ain't, it ain't all that, but anyways, so, um, another term, um, that, um, that's uh, also pretty bad that we often use is, uh, soul down the river. You know, you would think that one would be a little more obvious and not. Eh. Yeah. I've learned not to be surprised by anything anymore. I know. I know. <laughs> well, I'm not really surprised. I just, uh, I guess what it, what it, you know, in having this conversation and any time that we're, you know, we're, we're with a group of people and having the conversations and, and getting some pushback or people are like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. It's, it really is um, what, what I don't know, what others, what so many of us don't know about American history is. Yes. Um, yep. it's a lot and it, it can- is a lot. So here's, here's another term that, that we use. Um, we also use a lot in churches and spiritual communities, grandfathered in, mm. right. And, and, and where I've used this a lot, again, throwing myself under the bus and there's plenty of room if you want to come under there with me, um, is, <laughs> is this idea of like, pretty big bus. Yeah. When we would, when we would, for example, make changes to our membership, um, you know, policy or membership requirements, yeah. uh, if somebody had been a member for so long or, or they were like maybe one of the, one of the founding members of the community, even before we came up with membership requirements, we would say they were grandfathered in. Okay. And we had clauses around that. So, so that's a term that came up in our, in our churches a lot. What is, where did that come from? Where that grandfather didn't comes from is yeah. uh, it was adopted by the seven uh, southern states during Reconstruction. Um, so anyone who was able to vote before 1867 was exempt from literacy tests, from property requirements, from um, any requirements needing to vote. Um, but enslaved um, Black people were not freed until 1865. Um, so they weren't granted the right to vote until the 15th Amendment, which was passed in 1870. So there's a little um, disconnect. Yeah. Um, it's a grandfathered in as a way to uh, exclude. Right. And again, I know what you're thinking, listeners. When I say that phrase, like in my church and so on, I'm I'm not trying to do this. I'm not trying to maintain yes. a culture of white supremacy. Our impact, I'm, I'm, impact thing. Yeah, I'm not I'm not meaning it in in a in a racist way. Yes, we know that. That's not the point. Nor that's what we're saying. Well, it's 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 one of those two that's very sneaky, kind of insidious yeah. because when you say grandfathered in, it sounds so inclusive. It and does. It sounds, it does. you know, cuz there's this, you know, stereotype of grandfather as this you know, older gentleman, nice, you know, inviting, engaging, like to say grandfathered yeah. in was like, well, we're trying to include everyone exactly. without even noticing. Really exactly. So to really reiterate the point here that we're making is because of the origins of these phrases, when we use them, we are again, unintentionally perpetuating 
the culture that surrounds these phrases. These the the uh, the words we use don't exist in a void. Right. And he, and and yes, context. You know, I I often say context is king. And even though we may put it in in another context, quote unquote, um, the the we're 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 still we're still carrying on this idea. Um, um, well, it's the it's the the it's what it's doing is so we have this caste system in our country, and there, if you think about um, you know a pier over water, you know mm-hmm. there's these pillars that hold up this system, and. Yes. What we don't realize is that by using these terms, we are actually keeping those pillars propped up. Exactly. Exactly. And again, it doesn't matter if we know that we're doing it intentionally or not. Right. We, 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 we still, we still are. Right. It's, 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 you know, a weird parallel is like, you know, we, we are dutifully, for example, most of us throwing our plastic and our, glass and a tin and a cardboard in in our recycle bins and we see the truck taken away and we think oh we're doing good work for the environment because we're recycling <laughs> right uh pretty much about i'd say what 80 something 90 percent of what we put in our recycle bins does not get recycled still ends up in the landfill for a whole bunch of different reasons um Go to go to last week tonight on YouTube with John Oliver. He does a great piece on this uh, a few weeks ago. But so it doesn't matter if we think we're doing the right thing. What actually is happening? It's a yeah. whole different story, yeah. right? So so that's why we why we pay attention uh, to things like this. You know, um, and it's and it's really I just I know we have some other ones to get no, to. No, no, go ahead. It's but it's also you know what I would encourage anyone to do that you know uh, go Google. You don't even have yeah. to necessarily ask someone. You can just Google, you know, uh, idioms, you know, with racist beginnings or idioms, you, you know, just, I mean, you can Google any number of little phrases and you will find lots of, you know, lots of your own learning. And yeah. and because you and I talk about all the time that that really, you know, creating dismantling racism and creating a culture of caretaking and and, you know, um, shifting from a culture of violence to a culture of care really begins with the individual. You know, yeah. we each individual yes. have our work to do. So, you know, use Google for good. <laughs> use Google for good. <laughs> love it. Love it. Uh, another another term uh, which we've used in, in insulting ways is the word moron. You know, we see someone do something really ridiculous, silly, stupid that we don't subscribe to and we go, what a moron. Uh, So the term moron um, was developed by eugenicist and psychologist Henry Goddard. If you don't know what uh, uh, eugenics is, go Google that. That's a whole rabbit hole. But it's it's this idea of of certain people having undesirable hereditary traits. And we've got to basically stop those traits from perpetuating by stopping these people from having kids, basically. Um, so that's the whole philosophy behind eugenics. And in, and in the early 20th century, he didn't want certain people, um, especially uh, European immigrants, um, Hungarians, Italians, Jewish immigrants. He didn't want those folks coming into the United States. So he characterized them as morons because they weren't, quote unquote, as intelligent as Americans. Probably had something to do with the fact that they didn't speak English, I know. Shocker, <laughs> shocker, right? I'm so from another country, and I don't speak English. Yeah, uh, who'd have thought? Who'd have okay. thunk? Right. So, so those undesirable traits uh, was what he didn't want infecting um, the population of the United States. So he called them morons, and that's where that term came from. Mm-hmm. Um, um, anti-Semitic, anti every anti-immigrant. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's uh it's that's that's another one. Um one that I think a lot that I think I'm that for me when I first discovered it I was like I would never have even thought and that's cakewalk. Mm. Right? Yeah. That we call something that's really easy or, you know, easily accomplished or lot, you know, quick or something, you know, easy and quick to succeed at as, you know, oh, that was just a that was a cakewalk. Yeah. And no, really no idea at all where it comes from and what it, um, 
with the word cakewalk, it's it originated as a dance performed by enslaved Black people um, on plantations before the Civil War. And um, it was intended to be a mockery of the way that white people danced. Um, you know, though plantation owners often interpreted their enslaved people's movements as unskillful attempts to be like them. So, I mean, that, anyway, that's a whole other conversation. But but the owners, this, the enslaved um, uh, owners, uh, slave people's, the owners of enslaved uh, people used, um, had them compete for cake. And so they would do a dance and, and they're competing for cake. And so, and, and that's how it kind of became an idiom is this cake walk, which was a dance. And then it becomes popularized and, and is carried forward by um, traveling minstrel shows, you know, like yeah. kind of vaudeville shows and, and minstrel shows. And um, I don't even, I, I'll, like you, I'll throw myself under the bus. I've used cake walk uh, before. Um, so I don't remember so, the last time, but it's one of those that yeah. that has easily slipped out of my mouth. And and I knew about them. I knew about this because uh, I was a music therapist. I studied a lot of music history. I know about um, 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 the the origins uh, or the journey of Black American music, um, yes. or <laughs> or as I like to call it, American music, uh, Black American music in <laughs> in, in America. Um, and that's not that's not totally accurate, you know. There was there was there was folk and Appalachian music that was, uh, you know, quite, uh, quite uh, or or quite prevalent and relevant uh, uh, as well. Um, but we also remember that what came out of minstrelsy was blackface, because yeah. as these minstrel shows and vaudeville acts um, were becoming popular, white performers, in an effort to to steal and appropriate um, painted their faces black in order to to try to yeah to appropriate uh, the 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 minstrelsy um, as well and as you study music history in America case after case after case of people of color creating um, art. And then being stolen, appropriated, um, credit taken by white performers. Looking at you, Elvis Presley. Looking at you. Yep. So you know stuff, stuff like that. That's a so, whole other show. We could to put that on the list. Music. We should probably do a show around that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, include Elvis and just music mm. itself. Yeah. Um, you know, and and some of the origins. The uh, yeah. It's a it it it's a whole thing. So, anyways, um, did we miss any? Did we get any? Did we get them all? Well, uh, I think so. I will. Uh, there's two that I don't know if it's on our list or not. But but just recently, you mm-hmm. and I, you used one and I used one. And one that you said was uh, whatever we were doing, we were having some hiccups, and you said about getting the kinks out. Yes. Getting the kinks out of the system. So you want to say more about that? So, so, so yes, that phrase, get the kinks out. Um, so there's, there's, so I looked this up and, and, and because my understanding is that it was all, it was referring to, to natural curly hair found in, in not just, not just black folk, but also like some European folks, like, you know, uh, Jewish folk and so on. And, and I know for black folk, there was a period of time in like the, I would say like the 40s, 50s, 60s, when, again, trying their best to assimilate, to to emulate those who were higher up on the hierarchy, uh, they would get the kinks out of the air with the flat irons and, and chemicals like lye. And even to this day, that's still a thing um, as well. So we're getting the we're getting the kinks out. So it became it, it, it was a term that was associated with trying to to change the natural appearance of someone of person of color so i did look up if this really was where the term came from and it there doesn't seem to be great clarity around this 
Um, some say it was it was first um, developed by a Dutch engineer in terms of untangling, you know, wires as he's yeah. um, creating a circuit board. But I mean, again, the Dutch not necessarily known for the historical <laughs> anti-racism. So no, I'm just gonna put the that Dutch there. Indies. The, yeah, just gonna know, put that there. <laughs> look at Central, the continent of Central Africa. You know, yeah, French. yeah. There's, there's a, uh, and, and we can't talk about the Dutch without mentioning Black Peter. You wear Black Peter <laughs> in the Dutch holiday tradition. You know, Sinterklaas has a helper, a black elf who, you know, if you're not good, he will come kidnap you. Right. <laughs> the Dutch. Gotta love the Dutch. Oh my goodness. So the other one, so get, so yeah, while it doesn't have its origins necessarily, um, but, but how it's evolved through culture and how it's been used, you know, get the kinks out is just paying attention. The other one is one that I used several, I don't know, a month or two ago, we were doing, you and I are doing a conference or something we're on. And of course we've tried to cram in more into our, you know, time space than is, I don't know if we tried to cram, but there wasn't enough, there's never enough time to do the things you want to do. So I said out loud to this group of people that we were just doing, we were giving them, you know, kind of like a drive-by, which was a a euphemism for like overview or just the bullet points. Right. And as soon as it's out of my mouth, it's hanging in the word bubble. I'm like, oh, crap. You know, (laughs) I I could hear it. And you spoke up and you said, Maybe we could say something different. Yeah, that term's triggering for some black folk. Yes, like no, and no pun intended. No, triggering. no. Uh, and oh, I didn't even mean that. I, well, <laughs> right. So there. So right. It just keeps going, going. So to you know, it, it is a term that you know, just do a drive-by. Meaning, what we mean, our intention is just a quick overview, or a little bit, or tip of the iceberg, or whatever. But it's the impact that what right. that what drive-by has come to mean in our culture is uh, it is um, it's you a know, horrific act of violence. Horrific act of violence, you know, and uh, yeah. So it's not. It just doesn't find a different phrase. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so there's more out there, as Kelly said, you can Google them. Um, and again, I invite you to, as we've been going through this, um, reflect back, notice, notice your responses in this moment, as we've said these things, whether there's an openness, whether you're shutting down, you know, can you recall using these phrases? Is there an openness or resistance to, to changing your usage? And if you want to jump into deeper discussion with us, we do have these twice a month affinity groups where we come together, people of all race, creeds and colors and have some deep discussions around these, because that's the only way we'll bring about change together to jump into the deep end and have these uncomfortable conversations. So you can find all of that at projectsanctus.com. And until next week, this has been With Love and Justice for All. Let's get our holy on. 